Everybody gets a piece, we're going mainstream. Everybody's gonna eat, we're going mainstream. All my family is singing. See you on mainstream, we're going mainstream. Wall Street to Melrose Avenue. We're going mainstream. Venture capitalists to athletes to creators. Today on the Altco's Mainstream Podcast, we have two guests who've built Alt's behemoths, the CEOs of iCapital, Lawrence Calcano, and Simon Markets, Jason Broder. iCapital and Simon recently completed a landmark transaction in the Alt space with two of the largest digital platforms that enable advisors and individuals to invest into private markets come together through iCapital's acquisition of Simon. iCapital has built the leading platform to drive efficiency and alternative investing for the asset and wealth management industries. They've grown to over $130 billion of platform assets. Acquiring Simon, which focuses on helping financial advisors understand and manage structured investments, annuities, and other risk-managed products, adds $48 billion of issuances to iCapital's platform. iCapital's platform is now close to $200 billion of total assets on its platform. Lawrence and Jason both come from the Goldman Sachs roots before building their respective businesses. Lawrence spent 17 years at Goldman and was a partner where he was co-head of the Global Technology Banking Group in the Investment Banking Division. He was a perennial winner of the Forbes Midas List Award for the most influential people in venture capital in 2001, 2002, 2004, 2005, and 2006. Jason also spent almost 17 years at Goldman, where he was a managing director and head of the Private Investor Products Group in the Americas, which focused on the creation and distribution of structured investments to Goldman's private wealth management clients and third-party distributors. Lawrence and Jason are both experts on product distribution of alts to the wealth community, so it was a treat to have them on to discuss the anatomy of the Simon acquisition and how this revolutionizes distribution of alts products. We had a fascinating conversation about why this acquisition is so important for the alt space, how important it is to comprehensively serve financial advisors, how data and analytics will play a key role in educating advisors, and how alts will no longer be alts, but will be mainstream as we think about the reconstruction of the 60-40 portfolio. Thanks, Lawrence and Jason, for coming on the Elko's Mainstream Podcast. Pleasure to have you. We're going mainstream. All right, Lawrence, Jason, great to have you on the Elko's Mainstream Podcast. Thanks, Michael. Great to be here. Great to be here. Thanks, Michael. Likewise, this is our first episode with a merger of the Alts businesses or one company acquiring another. And it's quite a big acquisition for the Alts space. Two unicorn Alts businesses coming together, building an absolute behemoth and serving the advisor community and the wealth management community comprehensively with the mix of your two businesses. So fascinating conversation coming here to talk about the mechanics of that, what you all do, why this is so important for the alt space. We'd love for you to each start from the beginning. What does your business do? And then get into how the acquisition came together. Lawrence, why don't we start with you? Great. Thanks, Michael. And thanks for having us. I feel privileged. This is my second trip to Alts Goes Mainstream. So I feel very honored. Thank you, my friend. So as you know, iCapital has really been building a full end-to-end automated alternative platform with a focus on being a partner to advisors, giving them an end-to-end platform to really deal with all of the idiosyncrasies from beginning to end of serving high-quality alternative products to their clients who historically have not had significant access to these products. 
And so what we've tried to do is build out the whole value chain, starting with education, which is a very critical part of this whole journey. So people have a successful outcome when they invest, but education, access, tools, analytics to understand how products fit into their existing, usually 60-40 portfolios, a platform to be able to understand and learn about the specific product or products they might consider investing in, all of the automation around transaction processing and completing subdocs. The life cycle journey with these assets, as you know, is very different from owning a stock or a bond. And so automating all of that experience and then having very comprehensive reporting so that advisors and their clients can really understand how they're doing on that journey from a financial return perspective. And so building all of that is really critical in our view. And importantly, though, is delivering it in a way that's very modular that allows an advisor to use the product however it works for them. In some cases, our advisors already have significant access to alt. So that part of our offering isn't what they need. They need the automation, the platform, the reporting, et cetera. In other cases, they do need end-to-end. And so we try to provide this modular approach so that everybody can get the benefit of the platform that we've built. So that's really at a very high level what iCapital has been building over these years. And Jason, what about you, Simon? It's a very similar story to what Lawrence just described for alternatives. We started with structured investments because as an asset class, it had traditionally been not only tough to access, but if you could access it, in order to go from learning about them to an actual execution, there was 12 or 16 different hurdles and pain points you'd have to overcome as a financial advisor. And so one of the things we did when we created Simon was set out to be a turnkey solution that sits on the desktop of the financial advisor And it's really meant to be the entire end-to-end solution. So similar to iCapital, it starts with education and training for the financial advisor. It had a compliance tracking for the home office to the extent the financial advisor was part of a larger broker-dealer. It had pre-trade analytics like backtesting. It has order entry and straight-through processing. And it also has a very robust lifecycle management portal. So when you're a financial advisor and that invests in structured investments, You always have a real-time snapshot of your book, of your client positions. How are they performing? Are they close to potential barriers? Um, Are they going to knock in soon? Are they going to be called soon? What type of coupons are they going to be paid? The idea is to aggregate all that information in one centralized dashboard so the financial advisor can not only be helped pre-trade, but also at trade, and most importantly, post-trade. We've overlaid that with a pretty robust construction or portfolio construction tool to help advisors think about where these products can fit in the portfolio. And although we started with structured investments, it dawned on us pretty early on that one platform, one solution where a financial advisor can go and really help him or her overcome a multitude of pain points within one of these complex products is really valuable. And so we made the decision to expand from structured investments to annuities. And so the Simon platform really took the same functionality I described for structured investments. You can port that over to annuities. And so it became that one-stop shop for financial advisors to conduct both types of business to the extent they wanted to for their clients. You both talk about how you're trying to provide a holistic solution to advisors and really want to serve them end-to-end in the areas that you have, Lawrence Knight Capital with private equity funds, hedge funds, 
other alternative asset funds, Jason with structured notes and annuities, Simon, at what point did you start to both realize in conversations you were having with customers that a single platform with everything integrated together would make more sense than trying to go at this? And what were the things that your clients were telling you that made you say, okay, this makes sense to do? So I would say, Jason will laugh when he remembers this, but this has always been our objective to build an end-to-end solution that really covered the waterfront, all the different types of alternative investments in this vertically integrated way that we talked about. All the different products and for every product, education, of access, order entry, subscription processing, lifecycle management, the whole thing. And, and the ink wasn't dry on Jason's first WeWork lease when they spun out of Goldman Sachs. And I called him. I learned about what they were doing through a, a common friend of ours at Goldman. And he introduced me to Jason. And I went, I sat with Jason and was really intrigued by what they were doing. And as probably as obvious, having listened to the first two answers, what he was trying to do in the initial set of products was very similar to what we were doing with our initial set of products. And so very early on, the idea of potentially bringing these companies together was something that I was thinking about. I think I might have frightened Jason that first meeting. <laughs> he was literally going off and building this outstanding company, which we're now very happy to have part of iCapital. But it's always really been the idea to create this platform to make the journey into alternatives a really a great success and experience for advisors. As you know, Michael, whether it's a structured note, an alternative investment, a private equity fund, a hedge fund, a direct deal. We do a lot of directs on our platform today. We do as many directs as funds, but these are more complicated processes. And to have a consistent experience, a consistent way in which you learn about funds, you see funds, and then you can build a portfolio. Jason mentioned the tool they've been building, Spectrum, which is outstanding. We've been building a tool called iCapital Portfolio Intelligence, again, focused on alts, as you might expect. And to be able to put all this together to provide the most comprehensive education on these assets, a set of analytical tools to be able to help advisors build portfolios that work for their clients' goals and objectives, and to process and automate that whole experience beginning to end is really what we've been able to accomplish by bringing these companies together. And it's very exciting. Obviously, there's a massive amount of work that we have in front of us in terms of integrating the platform, but we're super excited about it. And it really continues to bring us down the path of the vision we had from the very early days. On that point, from each of your perspectives, was there something, in addition to the different products covered, was there something about each of the businesses that one had that the other didn't that you thought made this an even more perfect marriage of the two? Well, I'll make a couple of comments, and I'd love Jason's perspective as well, as I'm sure you would. I, I think the product complementarity was really very powerful. While we had a distribution business in structured notes, we didn't have the technology processing that Jason's team had really done a phenomenal job building. And so I think the product complementarity was massive. There's a massive amount of customer complementarity. I think there's opportunities where we have some overlapping companies for sure, which is exciting, but we had lots of other opportunities for us to bring the complementary product line to each other's broader client base. And the last thing I would say that we learned about early on and we're continuing to learn about is 
The culture that Jason and the team have built at Simon is really very similar to what we've been building at iCapital, a focus first and foremost on our customers and their success. And our reason for being is to actually help our customers meet their objectives. And the second key tenant being, we can't get any of this stuff done if we don't work together as a team. And I think the more we've interacted and have partnered with Simon, the more that consistency of culture has been just an awesome, I won't say it's a surprise because we learned about it through the diligence process, but it's certainly been everything we had hoped it would be. And it's gelling very well at iCapital. Yeah, and Jason, from your perspective, when you saw a business like iCapital, I know you've indexed pretty heavily on something like the analytical tools at Simon, and I'd love to get more into that. Where did you see the pieces of the puzzle fitting together? Not surprisingly, the themes that really drove us at Simon are very similar to what Lawrence just mentioned that customer first, and let's figure out how to deliver the best solution to our customers as a team. And so over the last two, three years, as the 60-40 portfolio has begun to hit headwinds, some financial advisors still love it, some are looking for alternatives, it really became evident to us based on conversations we would have almost every day with our clients that expanding the product set to not only be structured investments and annuities, but also private capital and hedge funds and other alternative investments would almost be their nirvana because it'd be one place to go where they can access all of their alternative solutions slash you know, non-vanilla products. And so as we were thinking about the best way to deliver that to our clients, it was very much in parallel with the conversations that Lawrence and I were having. And when we say coming together as a team, one team to deliver the best outcome, I think by far and large, bringing one platform or one solution to our collective customer base, i.e. the wealth management firms and partners we serve across the ecosystem, we'll do that a lot quicker as one combined company working together, as opposed to two companies going down our own paths, and which speaks to the extraordinarily complementary nature of both companies. On that point, Where I'd love to go with this and hear both of your perspectives is where are advisors still underserved? Because there's a lot of distribution options out there for them. They see product from all different places now as iCapital and Simon and your respective areas really pioneered this, but now there's others who are doing this as well. What in your mind are the places where advisors are underserved and how does this combined platform maybe fill some of those gaps in ways that it hadn't before? I would say the following. There's a difference between providing some alternative access to clients and having a scaled offering. And to have a scaled offering, you need to have an infrastructure. It's one thing to say, I've got a friend who's a real estate manager, or I have access to some real estate products or some structured node products, or I have access to some hedge funds, and, and you can access them. That's episodic. What I think is happening in the marketplace is people are moving beyond episodic access to products to consistent reconstructed portfolios where alternative investments play a fundamental and core part of that portfolio. To do that, you need an infrastructure that provides you with all of the sort of functional requirements to actually have that scaled portfolio capability. And it's the things that we've each articulated. Education is massively important. Compliance, massively important. The access, and I think 
people might see a fund that has what seem on paper to be a great set of returns, but that could be a third quartile manager. And so having robust access to the highest quality products is really critical. And then as Jason alluded to, a set of tools that allow you to construct your alternative portfolio with the same types of disciplines and capabilities that you can construct a 60-40 portfolio and knowing how those two things fit together. And those are the things that are about building an infrastructure to be able to teach, comply, access, and own and manage and report on these types of assets. And I think that's a big thing. If you want to be an advisor that offers real portfolio change, you need to be able to have an infrastructure to get that done. The one thing I'll add, Michael, to that is having a scalable infrastructure like Lawrence described is foundational because it allows us to then be nimble as we go to where the advisor does business. And we try to be nimble enough to plug into various workflows because as you know, every advisor conducts business differently. And so it, they may start their day in one of these financial planning tools, or they may start their day within their advisor portal or within you know, something else that a TAMP has as an example. And by having that infrastructure in Lawrence, it's so critically important because the scale is also being nimble in the front end and really plugging into their user experience. So the financial advisor has access to these products, tools, analytics, and portfolio construction in a very seamless way. On that point, when you started the analytics tool at Simon, how did you think about that in terms of what advisors wanted and what was really the goal? Was it help advisors understand and construct portfolios? Was it also help yourselves figure out the right types of products to then offer to different advisors or different clients within those advisors' portfolios based on what the answers were from the analytics? Yeah, I would say there was. there's really been two phases of analytics at Simon. Phase 1.0, if you will, was taking the requests that we would get back when we were at Goldman Sachs running the structured investment business, taking those requests that used to take, could be 12, 24 hours to put together on a massive Excel spreadsheet and making it accessible real time to the financial advisor at his her fingertips. So they can actually look at products and analyze how they would have performed in bear markets, bull markets, et cetera, over the last 50 plus years and really give them the confidence to have a conversation with their client about the product. That was phase 1.0. Phase 2.0 is now how do you take that and how do you give the advisor a lens into where that fits within the broader portfolio? And Lawrence mentioned what something we created called Spectrum and together with IPI, their tool, we're doing some really, really innovative things in that field that I believe for the first time allows a financial advisor to look at where alternative investments fit in a portfolio and really highlight the benefits, of course, the risks too, but the benefits an alternative investment can bring to the portfolio. That's just not necessarily been done before. Every portfolio analytics tool we see is very geared towards your traditional equities, bonds, and doesn't do alternatives justice. And we tried to make that front and center because that's what advisors have always wanted. They want to know where these fit in portfolios so they can communicate that in an intelligent way to clients. Given that it hasn't really been built before for the advisor space, how hard is it to build a proper data and analytics tool set for them? So one of the other reasons why bringing the companies together makes so much sense and is such a huge solution for advisors because combined, 
we have an insanely unique data set. Uh, over 100,000 structured investment QCIPs in a standardized data format. It's very similar on the alternative investment side when you look at private equity, private credit hedge funds. And it's only when you have a very standardized product data model or data architecture that you can build consistent analytics and services on top of that, which deliver real value to financial advisors. In the absence of that standardized data model, you can never do that at scale. On that point, I think combined with distribution capabilities, the platform who figures out distribution is going to be the winner in the alt space. I think, Lawrence, you've talked about that. You talked about that in your last podcast when alt goes mainstream. How do you think that the data and analytics plays a role in not only making distribution easier, but making it cover a broader surface area? Because then you really help advisors understand what analytics looks like, what the portfolios look like, and then it helps you sell more. I think the important thing that we think about is distribution isn't just about feed on the street. It's about a whole lot more than that. And as we think about how to be an effective distribution partner, for example, for the private equity funds and hedge funds and issuers that we work with, that's a very data-centric exercise. Obviously, we have people on the street. I think we have close to 80 people who play a distribution function at iCapital, so you need that. But you need to automate that whole experience. And I think you need to leverage the data set that Jason's talking about, which is very, very comprehensive. And you need to be able to help whether you're doing the distribution or you're providing distribution tools to your GPs who are distributing themselves, because that happens a lot in our ecosystem. You need to be able to provide tools that help them target, that help them track the selling process. You need to be able to give them tools. So as we've talked about Spectrum and IPI coming together to be a powerful tool, that's incredibly helpful to the advisor. It's also, by the way, incredibly helpful to a GP who can then take their product and put it into the construct of this tool and help them show how their product helps impact a client portfolio. So there's a very significant distribution element to these tools coming together. And so when I think about distribution going forward, it's not just about brawn, it's about brain as well. And very importantly, we are focused on automating this whole process. Have a lot of GPs had the capabilities to do distribution in a more data-driven or asset or human capital light kind of way? Or has that been a challenge to date? I think distribution generally has been newer thing for many GPs. The history is that virtually every GP's funding base is comprised of institutions. And for many GPs, they continue to have only institutions as part of their mix. Now that's changing. I remember pounding the pavement in 2014 and 15 and 16 and trying to explain the virtue of this high net worth channel to the GP community about how this is in a very important investor base and how these products can actually really help this channel. And some people got it right away. You look at what Blackstone has done and Carlisle and KKR and Aries and some of the firms that have really made big investments into this channel, they get it. And they've invested in education, they've invested in people and relationships and so forth. It's still very much the early innings. But I do think that data-driven, tech-driven distribution that I'm talking about is very, very new to this market in an area where we think we can be incredibly helpful 
really to the whole ecosystem. And pretty much everything we're doing at the end of the day is trying to make this whole ecosystem successful for everybody. And we talked about this in the first podcast. We came into the market um, not really as a disruptor, but really as an enabler. And as we think about what we're trying to accomplish today from a mission standpoint, it helps GPs bring their great quality products to the channel. It helps the distribution platforms and advisors get access to products they've historically not gotten access to. It automates that. I think it helps the the administrators, the transfer agents, the custodians to create end-to-end automation so that the cost and efficiency with how these products flow through the channel can be made much, much better, much less expensive, et cetera. And so I continue to feel very strongly that iCapital is an enabler for all the constituents in this channel to be very successful in the alts area. On that point, just continuing that thread and something you said a little bit earlier about helping GPs with the analytics by providing them with these tools, where my mind goes is that you've created this pretty interesting flywheel of you're obviously helping LPs with the analytical tools and helping them understand alts, but then you're also helping GPs figure out how to productize and then sell their products to that community. For both of you, did you start with a certain client in mind when it came to building the data and analytics? And then have you kind of, I don't want to cheapen what you've done, but fallen into finding that worked for another constituent? Or did you really build the data side with the idea in mind that there would be this really interesting flywheel effect of not just helping LPs, but it's also helping GPs and helping them build their own businesses? I would say from the very start, iCapital's mission has been to help both sides. Providing access to alternatives means you need to have alternatives access and you need to people want it. So we were always dealing with the chicken and the egg problem from the very start. Pretty much everything we do, there's a lens that while there might be some functions or features that we build to help a distribution platform or GP, the second eye is always open looking at the impact of the other side because we have to think about the ecosystem as we progress. And so as we've been growing, we're now close to $150 billion in alternative assets on the platform between the assets that iCapital generates on the alternative side and the notes assets that the new Simon part of our team generates, we probably will generate $130 billion of assets this year, including both alts and notes. So it's a very significant volume of new subscriptions, of new fund information, of new QCIP and product information. And we've been spending a lot of time building out a very comprehensive data warehouse to be able to obviously with all the firewalls and all the boundaries and respecting all of the confidentiality that we, of course, need to respect, we're building a pretty powerful data asset here that we think can lead to information that will help both advisors make better decisions for their clients and the clients they're having a better experience and for GPs to be more effective in terms of how they go to market. And I think we can do those things well. Again, that's a win for everybody and that's our focus. And continuing that thread, We've talked a little bit about that there have been clients who've worked with one side of the marketplace, has had structured notes and had exposure there, but haven't necessarily had exposure to alts and vice versa. Clients who've had exposure to alts, but not structured notes. What has been the reception of clients, number one, in terms of having access to some of these other products they may not have had access to? And how much education has had to go into helping clients understand one or the other. Because if they've done one, presumably they either have clients or want to do the other. But 
what's that been like, Jason, start, starting with you, given that you're now integrating with iCapital? For many clients, it's their nirvana, where many of clients that both Simon and iCapital have traditionally had access to structured investments and alternatives. Maybe they necessarily use one more than the other or vice versa. But what the best part about conversations we've had since announcing the deal with clients is they're really excited about having one platform, one integrated platform to go to, to have access to all products. And so as we've shared with clients the vision of where we're taking the platform, again, this is just one month into it because we closed the deal on August 1st. It's been a really great story to tell and it's been met with a lot of enthusiasm and excitement because for many wealth management networks, it's where they've wanted to go for a long time. You've talked about education and we didn't get into this, but your background at Goldman was also in the structured notes space, structured product space. Structured notes and products have been distributed through banks to the wealth community prior to the advent of the likes of Simon and the iCapitals of the world coming into existence. Has it been easier than maybe private equity or hedge fund products being taken up by that community for them to work with an independent platform versus work with you and your seat at Goldman? With financial advisors getting access to products on Simon, obviously while we were at Goldman, they only had access to Goldman Sachs products. It was good because it gave them the end-to-end solution I described, but it was not so good because they only had access to product from one issuer. And I think when we really turn back the clock and think about it, that was the main impetus for spinning the company out of Goldman Sachs initially. We thought, given feedback we've gotten from financial advisors, having one platform that was independent and industry-owned, where they could access not only Goldman product, but product from all structured investment issuers, was a much better value proposition for them. And it's only once we did that that we see a lot of firms really lean into it. And it went from a big business, but to a really big business where it's hitting critical mass now. And I would just add to that, because as you know, Michael, the, the premise of iCapital from the very start was to be an industry utility and industry ecosystem. And so here again is another similarity in style and approach where we were building out the industry solution to build an alts platform for all issuers, if you will, the GPs, obviously, the distribution platforms. Jason's team was doing the exact same thing in notes and, and, and annuities. And so as we brought the companies together, unsurprisingly, as a result of that, we had several common shareholders, I think five shareholders who were owners of both companies. And so it was really easy for everyone to understand what we were trying to do and importantly, what the opportunity was of put, putting these companies together. And I would say that what was a good idea for notes and annuities and what was a good idea for private equity funds and hedge funds and credit funds, et cetera, is an even better idea when you put the things together. You mentioned something which is interesting that bank involvement from the early days has helped accelerate the business in part because of what you said, Lawrence, iCapital is really an enabler for the industry. And in part, Jason, because of what you said, advisors knew about an end-to-end solution from working with one product provider in Goldman, but they didn't have access to the open architecture that they now have through Simon. How has the bank involvement from the early days, Goldman and Simon's case, Credit Suisse was an early investor, and then many of the other banks invested early on in iCapital. How has that helped you build your respective businesses and serve clients with this consistency of culture that you guys both mention? I would say, Michael, that first and foremost, any company has to really understand their customers. And I think the fact that 
Jason and team came out of Goldman Sachs. They had a very unique understanding of what was needed by one of the most demanding organizations on the planet. And I say that as an alum. And by the way, Goldman Sachs knew that Jason and team understood what they needed. Similarly, my capital, a lot of our management team and really full team has come out of banks and RIAs and so forth. As a consequence, I think a lot of us really understood what was needed to help these customers achieve their objectives. I think that was a really helpful thing to have that level of understanding. And importantly, and I would say that this is probably a message I'd share with any fintech entrepreneur that comes behind us or builds a company like this, that understanding your customers is key. And related to that, understanding the cadence of your customer is key because no large bank, no large RIA, no large financial institution, no large GP, or even a middle-sized GP is going to rush into anything. And they're going to do a thoughtful analysis of the value proposition. They're going to do a thoughtful analysis and diligence around your InfoSec policies, which is essential, your operational procedures, your technology development procedures. They're going to go through a very deep understanding of it. And it's going to be a longer process than your most conservative analysis might suggest. And so you have to be patient. No great relationship, no relationship worth having happens quickly. And so you have to really prepare for the cadence. It's well worth it, by the way, because these partnerships are incredibly valuable and incredibly important. But you have to have that cadence. And then by extension, you have to make sure you finance your organization in a manner that can withstand that type of sales cycle, certainly in the early days. Thankfully, the sales cycles increase as your company grows, as your client list and roster grows. But you need to be prepared for a longer sales cycle than you anticipate in every respect so that you can continue to build and invest in the needs your clients have. Jason, on that point from what Lawrence was saying about financing the business in a way that enables you to have that runway, when you were at Goldman and talked with the Goldman team about spinning the business out, was that something that came up? And how did you think about what was the viability of this business, an independent business? It was an important topic, but I think it was almost implied in the spin that we would bring on other investors that were also big players in the structure and investment space to help finance the company. And so as we were thinking about doing that, we were careful to bring on the right investors who ended up being fantastic partners. A lot of structured investment issues, like I'll say, and one thing that I really do thank the partners we've had and we still have today is that without those investors and, and structured investment issuers, even if you weren't an investor, Without them leaning into the platform, we would have never been as successful as we have been. They leaned in because they truly believed it was the best solution for financial advisors. And they subscribed to the rising tide lifts all ships. And it's worked. Structured investment industry went from $50 billion in 2018 to over $100 billion last year. I'm not going to say that's 100% thanks to technology. But as Lawrence mentioned earlier, tech, it's certainly been an enabler of that growth. If you go back over time, I remember when I was running tech at Goldman in the early days of the bubble, Internet 1.0, there were a number of consortiums that came up and the single dealer systems, many of which were financially oriented, bond trading desks, equity trading desks, et cetera. And it really wasn't until the banks all came together and created these consortia that actually volume started to take off. 
when they were single dealer systems, it was tough to really generate any of the type of growth that you would have as a goal. But when they came together, that's when things started to really happen. And I think that's certainly true in our case as well. It's been part of the underlying business planning. And the other thing I would say, because we've talked a lot about banks in this conversation, the, the reality is the original premise of iCapital was actually to serve independent RIAs who had left the bank platforms. And one of the things that I think has been a win for everybody is we've got thousands of RIAs who use iCapital, and the RIA community is a really critical part of our overall business. It's true for the alternative investments. It's also true for structured notes and annuities as well. So similarly, the RIA community is, I believe, a big beneficiary in the IBD community of this combination, but our system is open. And so anything we build on the security side and the compliance side and the education side, anything we build is open for all of our members to use. Whether you're a $500 million RAA or a $2 trillion bank, if we're building functionality that makes this ecosystem more effective, more efficient, et cetera, all the constituents of the iCapital network get to use it. And I think that's a really important thing. And I think it's actually a win for everybody, not just the big players, but for the small players as well, to be able to have access to the most demanding requirements, if you will, that our clients put on us as an organization. You talk about that point, and you mentioned the shift from single dealer systems to multi-dealer systems. TradeWeb is another one that comes to mind that, again, many banks were involved with. And I think in some ways, iCapital as a joint business between the two of your businesses will become that for the alt space to some extent. Maybe it's not a totally fair comparison to either business, but just for simplicity's sake. But as you see that evolution happening, there's also the backdrop of banks needing to manufacture their own products, banks having their own clients. How have you found the balance between the banks knowing that they need an independent third-party solution, which you're creating and they're backing so they benefit from to some extent, with the fact that these banks also have to distribute their own products, they have their own clients they want to serve? And how have you both managed to balance that? Because that's a tough balancing act for both parties, yourselves as well as the banks. I would say that the platform that we've built enables the banks to spend more resources creating and developing new product that they can better serve the end client via the financial advisors because they can actually be more nimble as the market dynamics and environment changes and not spend as many on it could be operational efficiencies it could be distribution and so what we're doing is actually making them smarter because we share a lot of data back with them, i.e. the trends in the market, what financial advisors are looking for and what they want. And we give them a place where they can actually test product too and get feedback from folks all electronic or digitally. So it's actually been quite complimentary. Yeah, I, I would add to it. I think about the alts journey we've been on. If you talk to Jerry Pescucci at UBS or Nancy Fami at Merrill or Jeremy Beal, people who are running very large platforms at UBS, Merrill, Morgan Stanley, they decided that what they wanted to spend their time and energy on is actually the product they made available and educating their clients, not necessarily the processing and management of those things. As we've done, as you know, a number of very large backbook acquisitions 
and so as they thought about it, just like they all use the New York Stock Exchange or they use the NASDAQ, they didn't want to have to create their own sort of similar exchange, if you will, vis-a-vis alts. They had been doing that, but it wasn't the most efficient way to do it. Getting budget for technology build is really hard in these large banks. doesn't mean that they don't have great developers. They certainly do. But to have the consistency of the budget, to be able to continue to build and refine and so forth, I think they took the decision that they wanted to make sure that a robust enterprise-grade secure infrastructure existed, but that they didn't have to build it and manage it and operate it. And they take great comfort, I believe, from the fact that they've all adopted it. And I think they know that a lot of dollars, we have 1,100 people at iCapital now, over 400 of whom just build technology. And so they know there's a massive budget going into well in excess of $100 million going into technology every year to make sure these platforms deliver what they need to deliver in terms of security, functionality, service, et cetera. And so I think that's the part of it where everybody benefits, but nobody has to undertake that experience. And they can all focus on the activity sets that allow them to really differentiate their offering from each other. This kind of ties back to something you said earlier, Lawrence, which is about you have to build the infrastructure for the industry first. And I think Goldman has said in research that they think in the next eight or so years by 2030, we'll go from 10 trillion of assets and alts to 30 trillion. And maybe it's not 30 trillion, maybe it's 20 trillion, but that's still 2x, 3x increase in assets going into alts. Now that you both have built the infrastructure, I'd love to hear from each of you where you think the next frontier is. What's the future of the space? And how does your combined company now, as iCapital, help shape that future? Michael, you know, as well as anyone, because you've been in this industry for a while, that technology development's never done. (laughs) You never check that off your list, and now you're moving on. Technology's a living and breathing thing. And so for the ecosystem to process $30 trillion of alts activity, absolutely everything in the ecosystem is going to have to get better, more efficient, et cetera. It's sort of like a Moore's Law type analysis. You have to continue to double the speed of the microprocessor every 18 months to be able to achieve your objectives to get that kind of growth. It's everything from how you process to the functions, the capabilities that you provide. For us to have $30 billion of alts activity, these tools that Jason and I have both talked about, better work for every investor who might have a piece of that to be able to build those portfolios. Every bank and RIA that uses these better have a really robust education and compliance infrastructure to make sure their advisors are really well educated, their clients, these products are suitable for their clients. They can track that. They can measure that. They can measure what percent of BDCs and REITs and other types of products are in individual client portfolios all of which is a regulatory requirement. And so there's just got to be a number of really important things that are either built or improved to be able to process that. And you need to have a large team with a lot of expertise and a lot of capital to be able to make those investments to deliver against the type of future that Goldman Sachs is forecasting. And Jason, what about you from your perspective? What do you see as the next frontier for alts, especially given how you were pioneer, particularly when it comes to thinking about data and analytics in the structured node space? I think it's very much what Lauren said. And I think what we need to be able to do as a technology company, in addition to enabling the entire marketplace to be able to scale and do that type of size that Goldman's predicting, is also being 
nimble enough to evolve as financial advisors' needs change. And so when we're thinking about utilization of data and analytics and giving it to advisors to help them make more informed or better decisions, which is what they really want because they have to go multiple places to find data. Part of the next frontier is really enabling them to put this in a portfolio and go to execution seamlessly. The only way you get to that type of size is if it's a very seamless process that has almost as little friction as going to an exchange and buying a stock that you can do today pretty easily. So as Lawrence said, we got a lot of work to get there, but we're on the right track and we just need to evolve as the market landscape evolves and needs evolve too. You know, Michael, one of the last thing I'd add at the end of the day, the only way you get to $30 trillion in alts volume is if the first trillion that was invested was invested successfully. <laughs> because if people don't have good outcomes with these investments, whatever dreams we all might have of a 60-40 portfolio becoming a 50-30-20 portfolio, all that goes away if people don't have the right outcomes, i.e. the products perform as expected. I mean, not everything's going to be perfect. We know that. But the products perform as expected, that importantly, people can predict what's going to happen. They understand the environments in which these products do well, the environments in which they don't do well. They have the set of tools to actually create those outcomes. And so the only way to get to 30 trillion or 20 trillion, whatever the number is that Goldman's forecasting, is by people having great outcomes in these asset classes. And you need all the things we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes to make sure that happens. I think it's absolutely right. And user experience is going to be at the front of that. I think there's another piece of this that both of you touched on, which is important to, to think about, which is I think of the mainstreaming of alts across two dimensions, mainstreaming in the context of alts becoming a larger portion of an investor's portfolio, whether it's an institutional investor or a retail investor. I then think about mainstreaming as the downstreaming of alts. So going from the institutional investor all the way to the retail individual investor who may not be able to put a significant amount of capital in, but should still have some exposure to alts. What do you think needs to happen given that you've built the infrastructure, alts are or have gone mainstream? What's the next phase that makes alts go downstream in your mind too? And you've done that to some extent, but is there something either that you can do, or maybe it's outside of your control, something like alts in 401ks or things like that, that would make a big difference to help the space continue to grow. I think that it's a lot of what we've talked about, but if you think about the alt space today, there are regulatory constraints today on who can buy alts and what kinds of alts they can actually buy. And I would say that while there have been some changes to those regulatory requirements, i.e. the redefining of an accredited investor, which happened in the last year, which allowed more people, they expanded the test from being purely an income test to an experience test as well, if you will. I think more of that needs to happen to be able to truly get the downstreaming and alts to actually happen at more scale. And the only way, I believe, for regulators to get comfortable doing that is because they believe that there's an infrastructure in place where people are actually making these investments in an educated way, and they're making these investments in products that are suitable. And there are safeguards that watch out for the suitability 
of the whole process. I do believe that there's real value to more and more people having access to these types of products. Um, they have the same long-term savings goals. They have the same portfolio diversification goals. Whether your portfolio is 100,000 or 100 million, you still have the same types of needs that just on different scale. And so I think it has to be that we tackle really a lot of the things that the regulators would and should be concerned about vis-a-vis -vis education, compliance, suitability, et cetera. And I think that's got to be part of everything that we think about and the industry thinks about in making sure that people have, again, I said this earlier, the good outcomes. And they have good outcomes when they're educated, when they understand how these products actually work and how they behave in their portfolios. Do you think if you create the user experience that both of you mentioned and are marching towards building, making it as easy to, I think as Jason, as you said, easy to invest in an alternative investment as it is in the stock. And uh, that, there may be some nuances to that because I think alternative investments are harder to process in some cases. But if you get there, is that the type of thing that makes it easier for the regulators to then say, oh, okay, it, it happens to be in a different asset class, slightly different way of doing it, this becomes something that's feasible because it's been created or constructed in a similar way to the way that the equities or fixed income markets have been. One thing I would say is making it easier for people to invest in these assets is essential. The experience of the whole process is essential. But I would say that the ease of investing it could cut two ways. For example, look at a lot of the regulatory dialogue around Robinhood and not to comment on Robinhood, but th there are real concerns that regulators have around, quote, gamification of investing or making things appear to not have the gravity that they have vis-a-vis -vis people's hard-earned dollars. And so I think ease of getting into these assets and ease of understanding what's happening with their invest your investments is absolutely essential to any growth but not gamified ease, if you will, and not ease that in any way confuses or mistakes or lessens the importance of the decisions that people are making when they decide to invest in these assets. Yeah, the gamification piece is an important one. And this is probably an entirely new topic for an entirely new podcast. But in certain corners of the fintech universe, it being an enabler, being a B2B or a B2B2C player may actually be more beneficial to the market than being a direct-to-consumer player. Yeah, I think that's totally true in this space. We are, I said this at the beginning of the podcast, we are a B2B company, B2B2C, if you will. But part of the reason we're a B2B2C company is because we think the odds of investors having a successful outcome in these assets goes way up if they have a thoughtful advisor that understands them, that knows what their goals are, that knows what they're trying to accomplish in the portfolio, knows what their risk tolerance is. If you have an advisor by your side, we believe the odds of you making a successful investment in these alternatives goes way up. And so we believe that not only does B2B pose the right discipline, but we think ultimately it raises the probability of successful investment outcomes. Yeah, that's a great point. On that point, I want to segue into final question that I always ask every guest on the podcast, which is, what is your favorite or most interesting alternative investment right now? And Jason, I'll start with you. <laughs> it's a good question. It's a good question. I'm looking at some private credit opportunities right now for specifically for income purposes, because it's an interesting time 
especially as rates are kind of hanging out where they are and uncertain where they'll go and when. And so there's a few lending opportunities that I happen to be looking at. So early days, I will say that, but pretty interesting stuff given the yield they can potentially spin off. Well, the private credit space is one that's evolved over time as well into more interesting esoteric assets. Technologies impact the private credit space too without giving anything away or you're not sharing any investment advice by saying any of this. Are there certain areas of private direct lending or private credit that, that interest you most? Still looking, still looking around there. So without getting into any more specifics, so not yet. Interesting. Well, maybe there will be some funds on iCapital's platform that could potentially be a fit. I'm allowed to say that because I'm not a registered rep anymore. So, <laughs> And Lawrence, what about you? I sort of got a pretty balanced approach. I've got some REITs, some BDCs, private credit, and then some more traditional private equity and growth equity. And I've tried to build a portfolio not dissimilar from how I would build my 60-40 portfolio. And so I tend to invest across the board almost predominantly off of our menu of products, as you might expect. I think that having balance in the portfolio, whether it's an all portfolio or a liquid portfolio, is really important. So I tend to invest across the board in you know, three areas like that. I've, again, tried to be balanced about it. You're making my mind turn when you're saying taking the 60-40 approach to alts. Do you think there is room to create a 60-40 version of an alts portfolio just within alts and in the same construct or way you'd think about creating a 60-40 portfolio in a more liquid market? I think that's a big opportunity in the future in terms of creating a portfolio that people can invest in across the board to have an appropriate exposure into this asset class. I would also make one other point, Michael, which is something I've said before, you know, alts is the title that we use to describe this asset class right now. But if alts really go mainstream, what I think is going to happen is people aren't going to think of alts as alts. They're going to say, I've got an equity portfolio, my equity portfolio, I've got some ETFs, I've got some common stocks, I've got a couple of private companies, and I've got some private equity funds, maybe a venture fund. And my credit portfolio is I own some treasuries, I own some munis, I own some government bonds, I own private credit, I own a BDC, real estate, kind of similar now. I own some direct real estate, I own some publicly traded REITs, I own some private REITs. I think what's going to happen is people are going to think about the various asset classes without a bright line that separates private from public. And they're going to think about their equity, credit, and real estate portfolios as inclusive of, of the different types of products they can buy. Couldn't have found a better way to end this podcast because then we'll have all done our work to make alts go mainstream. That's true. Well, this was awesome. Thanks so much, Lawrence and Jason, for coming on the Alt Goes Mainstream podcast. Congrats on the businesses you've built and for such a landmark transaction that's happened in the alt space that, to your point, is making alts go mainstream and will become just a mainstay part of people's portfolios. Great. Thanks, Michael. Great, great being with you. Thanks, Michael. Likewise, thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening to this episode of Alt Goes Mainstream. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites, and you can read more about alts at my substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com. And follow me on Twitter at, at Michael Sigmore and at Gozalt. Thanks a lot and have a great day. We go